Ladies and gentlemen, George Wilder Jr. President Trump's attacks on the FBI are shameful. The fired FBI director firing back after House Republicans haul him back for another closed-door hearing. Alone and angry. Hold up in the White House, Mr. Trump goes on an angry tweet storm against the Russia probe as Rudy Giuliani offers a confusing defense of his client-in-chief. Are they worried about new leads being followed by the special counsel? High-stakes info war. Powerful new Senate reports on Russian interference reveal the scope of Moscow's tampering with social media before and after the election, all aimed at helping President Trump. Stand by for new details on the tactics and the targets. And commander interference. President Trump hails a U.S. soldier charged with premeditated murder, calling him a military hero. New concerns tonight about the nation's leader intervening in a criminal case. We want to welcome our viewers in the United States and around the world. I'm Wolf Blitzer. You're in the Situation Room. This is CNN Breaking News. We're following breaking news on James Comey's blistering attack on President Trump and Republicans who refused to stand up to him. The fired FBI director saying Mr. Trump has lied constantly about the Bureau and has attacked the rule of law in his attempts to undermine the Russia investigation. Comey clearly fuming after a second closed-door hearing demanded by House Republicans before Democrats take control. Once a registered Republican, Comey says GOP lawmakers are being cowed into silence by the president, calling their failure to speak out an everlasting 
shame. I get reaction from Senate Democrat Daisy Hirono, a member of the Judiciary Committee, and our correspondents and analysts are also standing by. First, let's go to our senior congressional correspondent, Manu Raju. Manu, James Comey's frustrations with the president and with Republicans, they boiled over today. Yeah, they did blistering attacks from James Comey directed towards the president and Republicans after the president has launched attack after attack on the FBI, on the Mueller investigation. Republicans, for the most part, have not stood up to this president, James Comey, after sitting down with Republicans and Democrats as a part of a Republican-led investigation in the House for the second time, let loose, and said the Republicans need to stand up because silence is not helping this country. The president of the United States is lying about the FBI, attacking the FBI, and attacking the rule of law in this country. How does that make any sense at all? Republicans used to understand that the actions of a president matter, the words of a president matter, the rule of law matters, and the truth matters. Where are those Republicans today? At some point, someone has to stand up and in the face of fear of Fox News, fear of their base, fear of mean tweets, Stand up for the values of this country and not slink away into retirement, but stand up and speak the truth. I find it frustrating to be here answering questions about things that are far less important than the values that this country is built upon. Now, over the weekend, the president attacked his former attorney, Michael Cohen, calling him a rat and also questioning about how the FBI raided the office of Michael Cohen. He, the president said that he broke that the FBI broke in to Michael Cohen's properties. James Comey pushed back rather strongly at the president's attack against Michael Cohen. This is the president of the United States calling a witness who has cooperated with his own Justice Department a rat. Say that again to yourself at home and remind yourself where we have ended up. This is not about Republicans and Democrats. This is about what does it mean to be an American? What are the things that we care about above our policy disputes, which are important? There's a set of values that represent the glue of this country, and they are under attack by things just like that. We have to stop being numb to it. Whether you're Republican or Democrat, you need to stand on your feet, overcome your shame, and say something. Now, before James Comey was fired, one reason why the president was frustrated with him is because Comey would not say publicly that the president himself was not under investigation. Now, in this closed-door meeting, I'm told uh, by a source familiar with the matter that this came up, and Comey defended his decision not to speak about this publicly, saying that the president appears to be under investigation right now based on public reports, and had he have made that declaration then, then the FBI would have to come out now and clean it up and say the president is under investigation, so he defended that decision in these closed or hearing earlier today, Wolf. Manu Comey also defended the FBI's investigation of President Trump's former national security advisor, Michael Flynn, after the president repeatedly attacked the bureau for the way it questioned Flynn. Uh, tell us what happened. Yeah, Michael Flynn in, the, in her interview by those FBI agents in January 2017 has come under increased scrutiny by Republicans, conservatives, and by Flynn's own attorneys who suggested that it wasn't handled properly. But Flynn, uh, but uh, Comey today strongly defended it. I asked Comey if he handled that properly. He said he did. He said it's nonsense to criticize it, given the fact that, Co that Flynn himself pleaded guilty to lying to the FBI about his interactions with the Russian ambassador, Sergei Kislyak, and he also defended his decision, James Comey did, not telling his superior, 
Sally Yates about the Flynn interview until the day it happened, saying if he had informed his, uh, her about this, then this, then Yates and Obama holdover would have been criticized for greenlighting an interview of the president's national security advisor. And Wolf, I also asked Comey if he had confidence in the current acting attorney general, Matt Whitaker, who is overseeing the Mueller investigation, and he said no comment, and he walked away. Wolf. All right, John Mano, thank you very, very much. Uh, let's uh, go to the White House right now. It's a bitter battle between James Comey and President Trump, clearly intensifying. Our, we're joined by our senior White House correspondent, our chief White House correspondent, I should say, Jim Acosta. Jim, any reaction there to Comey's scolding of the president and the Republicans? Uh, no, Wolf, uh, not yet, and that's pretty surprising given the, the past uh, that we know between the president and Jim Comey. The president has not been bashful about going after the uh, FBI director that he fired, and we've seen that on a number of occasions. Just that has not happened yet. I'm sure it's coming, but as you know, Wolf, President Trump's legal team is scrambling to stay ahead of the latest twists and turns in the Russia investigation. The president and his outside attorney, Rudy Giuliani, are both beating up on the special counsel's probe, throwing punches in just about every direction, but it's the truth that seems to be taking a pounding. The president's legal team isn't exactly spreading yuletide cheer when asked whether Mr. Trump will sit down with special counsel Robert Mueller in the Russia investigation. They're a joke over my dead body, but you know, I could be dead. President's outside attorney Rudy Giuliani suggested, without any evidence, that Mueller's investigators are now digging deeper into Mr. Trump's past business dealings, complaining the Russia probe is now out of control. This is a witch hunt. They are going back now. They're going back to 1982, 1983. They're going through business records. My goodness, they went from collusion to obstruction, no evidence. Now campaign finance. Giuliani is speaking out of both sides of his mouth. When asked whether one of the president's associates, Roger Stone, gave Mr. Trump advance warning that WikiLeaks was about to dump damaging information about Hillary Clinton during the campaign, Giuliani said no, but then added it wouldn't be a crime either way. No. Not at all. Uh, I don't believe so. But again, if Roger Stone gave anybody heads up about WikiLeaks leaks, that's not a crime. It would be like giving him heads up that the Times is going to print something. Once the, the crime, this is why this thing is so weird, strange. The crime is conspiracy to hack. Collusion is not a crime. It doesn't exist. Giuliani also seemed to offer a new detail about the Trump Tower Moscow project. The president's former attorney, Michael Cohen, pleaded guilty to lying to Congress about the project, admitting discussions about the proposal lasted until June 2016. But Giuliani suggested that Mr. Trump may have had discussions which went on longer than that. According to the answer that he gave... It would have covered all the way up to November of covered all the way up to November of 2016. He said he had conversations with him about it. President didn't hide this. While Giuliani hit the Sunday talk shows, the president worked over Cohen on Twitter, tweeting, his one-time fixer only became a rat after the FBI did something which was absolutely unthinkable and unheard of until the witch hunt was illegally started. They broke into an attorney's office. But that's not true. Cohen later said those federal investigators were courteous and professional. House Democrats are eager to hear more of Cohen's story when they take control of Congress next year. I'm hoping that Mr. Cohen will come before the Congress where he can tell the, the, the American public exactly uh, what he has been saying to Mueller and others without interfering with the Mueller investigation. The president spent much of the weekend airing his grievances about the Russia probe, blaming it all on former Attorney General Jeff Sessions, tweeting, Jeff Sessions should be ashamed of himself for allowing this total hoax to get started in the first place. 
With the president staying behind closed doors, acting Attorney General Matt Whitaker was one of several administration officials stopping by the White House. From outgoing Interior Secretary Ryan Zinke, who's suddenly leaving the Trump team, to incoming Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney, who has some explaining to do after this video surfaced from just before the 2016 election. Yes, I'm supporting Donald Trump. I'm doing so as enthusiastically as I can, given the fact I think he's a terrible human being. Uh, but the U.S. on the other side is just as bad. The president hasn't lashed out at Mulvaney, but he did vent his frustrations on Satya. Well, all right, uh, Jim Acosta at the White House, thank you. Let's talk a little bit more about uh, the president and the Russia investigation right now. Our crime and justice reporter, Shima Prokopez, is joining us. Uh, Shima, and Rudy Giuliani says there's no way he's going to allow the president of the United States to sit down for a face-to-face interview with Mueller and his team saying that would only happen, quote, over my dead body. Why are they say so opposed to the president answering some questions if the president did nothing wrong and has nothing to hide? Look, you have Rudy Giuliani who claims to be out there talking for the president. He himself can't get the story straight. Every time we hear from him, there's always something new. Something doesn't make sense. He adds things to the, to the narrative. He takes things away. So it's totally conceivable that they're worried, you know, as we've been saying all along, they do not want to put the president before the special counsel, before FBI agents, before prosecutors, where he could essentially be accused of lying and could perjure himself. So that is their whole goal. And this has been their goal throughout this investigation, really has been to protect uh, Donald Trump from the investigation, because there's always been this concern that he could lie. You know, there was a significant uh, statement potentially that Rudy Giuliani made yesterday. Originally, Michael Cohen said uh, his talks with the Russians about building a Trump Tower in Moscow ended in January of 2016. He later said under oath uh, that he had lied about that. They really continued until June, around the time of the convention, uh, the Republican convention, when he was getting the nomination, Donald Trump uh, continued till June. But yesterday, Giuliani says those talks, actually, Michael Cohen's talk continued as late as November 2016. What's Giuliani talking about? Right. The problem here, though, is now they're corroborating Michael Cohen's statement. You know, the president, his lawyers, Rudy Giuliani, have tried to go out there and paint Michael Cohen as this liar. Uh, he's just trying to get himself from under this investigation. He wants to. He wanted less jail time, so he's making all of this up. But the problem now with Rudy Giuliani saying this is that he is corroborating in part of what Michael Cohen has told the special counsel. The other thing here, and and let's remember, is that the special counsel has said that there were discussions about Michael Cohen's testimony with people close to the president, with people perhaps at the White House, that were aware of what his lies essentially that he was telling to members of Congress about how these conversations about the Moscow project stopped in January of 2016. Well, now it seems that people in the White House have all along have all along knew that these conversations were ongoing. So, therefore, did someone at the White House know that Michael Cohen was lying? Did the president's lawyers know that Michael Cohen was lying, and therefore, no one ever said anything? That could potentially be a problem in the obstruction world that we know the special counsel is looking at for the president and certainly people who work for the president. The president's former national security advisor, Michael Flynn, uh, he's going to be addressing the court tomorrow when he's finally sentenced. What do we expect to hear? Yeah, and that coming uh, tomorrow, which will be the day after these two business associates of Michael Flynn were uh, charged for the secretive lobbying work uh, on behalf of of the Turkey government. So tomorrow will probably want to be one of the first times that we're going to hear from Michael Flynn since all of this happened. We'll hear him 
potentially try to apologize for what he did. The other thing that's going to be interesting is going to be how much does the special counsel get into in terms of how much help Michael Flynn has been providing them. They tend to not talk a lot. They try to not tell us a lot into their investigation. But with today's announcement of these two people, these two business associates, other information that has been out there, one of the things that perhaps will happen is we may hear more. And, uh, we know that the Trump administration has not figured out how to spend all of that. So uh, when you really sit down and think about 1,100 miles of uh, a physical barrier and a wall, of which of this 1,100 miles the United States government only controls a certain percentage of land and the rest will have to be obtained through eminent domain, one wonders you know, how serious is this border wall. So I, having uh, visited the border and seeing children at, uh, at Tornillo, basically locked up, 2,700 of them, in a facility that was supposed to last for only 30 days, and here we are going on five months. Uh, there's, there is no reason that these children should not be uh, as, as uh, quickly moved to be with their sponsors as possible. And one of the things that Trump administration has done in their efforts to stymie legal immigration and people coming to our country asking for asylum, which also is their right to do, uh, is to create a process whereby these unaccompanied children are uh, having uh, to wait a much longer time to be united with their sponsors. Why? Because they want to have fingerprint checks on not only the sponsors, but everybody in the sponsors' uh, household or family, and this has a chilling effect because a number of the sponsors are undocumented, and this information is shared with ICE, who then proceeds to, to uh, yeah, deport these people. So Trump administration is doing everything they can to make it really hard for people to come across the border seeking asylum, which under international and our own laws is their right to do. And then when they finally get here, we keep them separated from their sponsors for extended periods of time in a facility that's not licensed. And then as for the where the families are, again, there are alternatives to basically incarcerating families. Uh, in, in these facilities. Senator, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. All right, just ahead, uh, James Comey is shaming Republicans right now, demanding they stand up to President Trump. But are Republican lawmakers listening? Very extensive and detailed reports released by the Senate Intelligence Committee. And the scope there, Wolf, is the key word. These are two separate reports commissioned by the Senate Intelligence Committee that are just stunning in their breadth and their detail. They show the Russian efforts to try to blackmail, co-opt, and recruit Americans as so-called assets. They then show how the Russians actively supported Donald Trump in the 2016 campaign, while also working to undermine Hillary Clinton's campaign. And even after the 2016 race was over, they kept on going. Efforts by Russia to meddle in American politics through social media are active and ongoing and far bigger than once thought. That's according to a pair of detailed and stunning new reports commissioned by the Senate Intelligence Committee, released today. The reports tracked Russian activity during the 2016 presidential race and after. We're going to win activity that during the campaign worked to support Donald Trump's candidacy and undermine Hillary Clinton's, including by trying to depress African Americans' votes and raise fears of a stolen election on the right. They didn't just stop. After the 2016 election, if anything, on Instagram in particular, they really ramped up. 
The analysis was based on troves of data handed over by Facebook, Twitter, and Google. In one data set, analysts found that the Russian troll farm known as the Internet Research Agency, which is linked to the Kremlin, posted more than 10 million tweets, 116,000 Instagram posts, 61,000 Facebook posts, and 1,000 videos. Earlier this year, the same group was indicted by special counsel Robert Mueller. The Russian group's efforts went beyond misinformation on social media. The group regularly tried to co-opt unsuspecting Americans to do certain tasks or hand over their personal information, developing them as so-called assets. In one example, Russian trolls created a page called Army of Jesus, targeting Christians and offering free counseling to people with sexual addiction. The hotlines posted, the report says, created an opportunity to blackmail or manipulate these individuals. CNN also tracked down this Trump supporter in Florida, who was paid by the Internet Research Agency to build a cage to bring to an event to call for the imprisonment of Hillary Clinton. There was nothing, nothing at all to lend you to think that it's anything other than people trying to support a candidate. The group's most prolific efforts specifically targeted black American communities not just to depress their vote, but to develop them, too, as assets. One such operation convinced and paid martial arts instructor Omawale Adewale to run self-defense classes for African Americans to, quote, protect your rights, let them know black power matters. CNN's Drew Griffin spoke to Adewale. They convinced you very easily, very, very easily. Some of the things were, you know, sketchy, but at the end of the day, it's still fitness. The trove of data that was analyzed in these two reports was given to the Senate Intel Committee by those social media giants. But one of the reports from the committee says that the companies only handed over what they called the bare minimum amount of data that was required by the committee. So that means there are likely many more Russian accounts out there still yet to be identified, just as our focus starts to turn to the next presidential race. Yeah, these reports are really detailed. Uh, the, the Russians had a very, very intricate, detailed sophisticated knowledge of American politics, and it continues to this day. And will. Alex, thanks very much. Uh, just to have the impact of James Comey's words as he accuses Republicans of being complicit in President Trump's attacks on the rule of law. And Mr. Trump's defense uh, in the Russia probe seems to change by the day as he and his lawyer talk and tweet. What does Robert Mueller make of all of this? Our analysts are standing by. Do you have a life insurance for failing to stand up to President Trump? He's accusing fearful GOP lawmakers of, quote, slinking into retirement rather than calling out Mr. Trump for what Comey describes as constant lies and attacks on the rule of law here in the United States. Let's bring in our analysts and film mud over the weekend. Uh, President Trump called his former lawyer and fixer Michael Cohn a rat for cooperating with the special counsel. Watch how the former FBI director, James Comey, responded today. This is the President of the United States calling a witness who has cooperated with his own Justice Department a rat. Say that again to yourself at home and remind yourself where we have ended up. This is not about Republicans and Democrats. This is about what does it mean to be an American? What do you make of that? The question's bigger. It's not just about Michael Cohen. It's about, look, you go back to the campaign. Orange is the new black. The president of the United States says it's okay for a foreign security service from an adversary, that is Russia, to steal information from an American political candidate. That is stealing emails, as he said on the campaign, from the Hillary Clinton campaign. 
it's okay for that. It is not okay for a domestic security service, that is the FBI, to go to a judge and ask for a lawful warrant, not only to search Michael Cohen's offices, which the president attacked over the weekend, but to ask Michael Cohen to cooperate in what is clearly, based on the judgments of the court and of, uh, of uh, juries, what is clearly illegal activity. So get this straight. It's okay for the former KGB to steal stuff. It's not okay for the FBI to seek a court warrant in the United States to go against Michael Cohen. Orange is a new black. I, and the KGB, I guess, the former KGB is new FBI. I guess that's what we got. You know, Sabrina, well, uh, oh, oh, I just want to play this clip by Jeffrey Orr. Sabrina, to respond, uh, this is Rudy Giuliani, the president's lawyers, insisting the president didn't do anything wrong. But listen to the defense. It's not a crime. It's not a crime, George. Paying, paying uh, $230,000 to Stormy, whatever, and paying 150000 to the other one is not a crime. Did the president, did Donald Trump know that Michael Cohen was pursuing the Trump Tower in Moscow into the summer of 2016? According to the answer that he gave, it would have covered all the way up to November of, covered all the way up to November of 2016. Said he had conversations with him about it. President didn't hide this. They well, know earlier they had said those conversations stopped in January 2016. Roger Stone gave anybody heads up about WikiLeaks leaks. That's not a crime. It would be like giving them heads up that the Times is going to print something. Once the, the crime, this is why this thing is so weird, strange. The crime is conspiracy to hack. Collusion is not a crime. It doesn't exist. Now. I know that uh, collusion is, is not a crime. Right? He used to be a federal prosecutor, he used to be a U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York, uh, Rudy Giuliani. Uh, what, what do you make of that? Well, the special counsel made very clear what its definition of a crime would be with respect to collusion, and that was in some of the indictments that we've seen, particularly against uh, members of Russian intelligence, which includes uh, conspiracy to hack uh, into the servers of U.S. persons and entities to steal documents, which in this case were the emails of the DNC and John Podesta, uh, Clinton campaign chairman, and then to release those with the purpose of influencing the uh, direction of the election. So if the president, uh, then candidate Trump, or anyone in the president's campaign was part of that conspiracy, then it would most certainly amount to a crime. But the fact that Rudy Giuliani has gone from saying repeatedly there was no collusion to now saying collusion is not a crime shows that they recognize the president's legal team that perhaps his story will not hold, that he has changed his story multiple times, which suggests that his denials may not stand the test of time. All right, Jeffrey, and Jeffrey go ahead. The fact, and how about the fact that suddenly both the President Trump and Rudy Giuliani are saying, well, everybody knew he was negotiating with Russia during 2016. Nobody knew he was negotiating with Russia during 2016. That is a complete lie. The whole point was that this mysterious affection for Vladimir Putin that he was a, a, a displaying throughout the campaign. Everybody was going, like, where did this come from? Why is he suddenly so solicitous of Vladimir Putin? Now he's saying, well, he was actually negotiating about Trump Tower Moscow during 2016. This was a fraud on the American people. The whole, I mean, the, the fact that he was not disclosing that uh, he was negotiating with, with Russia during this period, and now he's suddenly admitting it, I don't know. I don't think that in and of itself. Freedom. All right. Welcome to the George Wilder Jr. Show. Go right ahead. Hi, this is David Essel. 
Hi, David Essel. Sorry about that. <laughs> it's cold here in the city of Chicago. It is totally cold, and the cold is messing with everything. So thanks for doing the show. It really is, man. It's, <laughs> it really is, man. It's like I'm looking at the I'm looking at my studio windows here, and it's covered with thick ice, both inside and oh, out. Oh God! Yeah, it's it's that cold, man. It, it, the Midwest is. Uh, I mean, we're in a deep, a serious deep freeze, and a lot of things are not working properly, and things people. Uh, Places are closed and everything else, and I was thinking about closing myself. All right, welcome to the show, David. And tell people about you and what you're all about. I understand that you are, you have a book called Book Focus or something to that effect. Yeah. Oh my God, George. It, 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 my my career is now going on forty years. Uh, it's been 40, forty years. In the Congratulations. World. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And, uh, you know, it's all about personal growth and motivation. We have 10 uh-huh. books out. The last three books have all been number one bestsellers. And the one you mentioned, oh, Focus, Play Your Goals. Yeah, I mean, this is where it's at, George. For people that want to be more successful in life, the missing is often a lack of focus. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Congrats, man. Uh Okay, uh, uh, tell us about your work. I mean, tell us what you do, and uh, it, you know, and try to get people to come on board. Get people to come on board. Yeah. So you know, for I mentioned, forty years now, I've been a counselor, uh, a life coach, and obviously an author, uh, an international obviously. speaker, and yeah, and, and all of this work is just about helping people to reach their next level in life, George. And and my my, my publicist TJ thought your show would be awesome to have our message reach these individuals who right now yeah. are looking at 2019 and saying, I want this year to be different than last year. We're going to have to act a lot differently to get a different end result. That's for sure. It has to be different from last year. It has to be different from the last two or three months. <laughs> it, <laughs> because, us, yeah. yeah, because it, it seems like everything is starting to ter- deteriorate around you. I mean, you look at you look at. Uh, I was looking at. Uh, I was concentrating and trying to figure out, and I never knew this until it was mentioned. I never knew so many people did not have savings accounts, did not oh, have God. anything in the money. So many people who are working good jobs, government jobs, federal jobs, working from one paycheck to the next. This this astonished astonished me because I thought I was the only one who did that. <laughs> <laughs> George, I love your honesty. Um, I, you, you, you know, know it's bizarre. About two years ago, I read a report that said that the uh, about seventy-five percent of Americans do not have a savings account that could yeah. carry them for more than thirty days. George, it's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's sad. It's scary. It's scary. But you know, I got to tell you something. The responsibility for being in this financial situation is mine, yours, and our listeners. Like, we can't blame the economy. We can't blame the White House. We can't blame, you know, for our lack of financial awareness. Yeah, we, you know, we, we, I, 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 you, you are right about that because this was years in the making. Mm. If we look at this, here's a statistic for you. Okay. 50 of Americans will borrow $5,000 a year for vacation on their credit cards. 
That $5,000, the average credit card interest is 19%, 20%. 50% of Americans, when they go on vacation next year, will borrow $5,000, and they will not pay it off in 12 months. So that debt continues to occur, and yeah. it continues to bring in the interest of 20% that you borrowed. And we do it year after year, George. You know, And, and what we've lost is everyone wants instant gratification. You know, if our friends went to Bali, if our friends went to Costa Rica, if our friends went to the Grand Canyon, oh, my God, we've got to go there and do what they've done. Instead of realistically looking and going, we don't have enough money to care. Now, you know, it, from a financial point of view, because, I, you know, I teach financial courses, we uh-huh. say that every, every American should have a minimal of six-month savings to carry every expense they have in the household for six months. That's the minimal that we recommend people have. And yet only a tiny percentage of Americans have that. And the main reason is because we lack discipline, George, and we crave instant gratification. That's the problem. We like to spin, spin, spin. Yeah. You know, like we feel we deserve it. Like we work hard. And so, you know, I deserve this, these clothes. I deserve this trip. this yeah. entertainment, this dinner, you know, but yeah. people don't want to look at the reality that we're digging a grave, a financial grave. And I've said the, the same thing. Say, yeah. Oh, God, yes. And in our course, Financial Freedom Now, we define financial freedom, George, as emotional freedom around money. It's not the amount of your income that brings financial freedom. It's having the wherewithal to have a budget and to put aside X amount of dollars per week so that you don't have the stress when the unexpected expense comes up. Exactly. That's financial freedom and that's emotional freedom around money. So how do you, how do you uh, start off trying to convince people that they uh, need financial freedom? I mean, some of them, some people just, as I've just got through set, they love to go out and shop, buy things. They think they've worked all week, so they deserve to do this or do that, splurge with their money, entertain. Uh, how do you get people to want to try to, you know, put a little bit aside each week and not live from paycheck well, to paycheck? Oh, my God. You know, it's it's not easy. But one of the things we say mm-hmm. to people when we're, working, we're taking it through the course, we'll just say if if you stop getting a paycheck for the next 30 days, Let's go ahead and look at how much money you'd have left in your bank account just in 30 days, George. 90% of clients that take my course will come back the next week and they'd say, I couldn't even make it 30 days. Like when I look at the, you know, the housing expenses and, and the car expenses and the food expenses and all that, I might yeah. be able to make it three weeks or a month. So we, we start off by showing people the situation they're in right now is probably worse than they thought. And so then the very next exercise, George, and this is something all of our listeners could do right now, is mm-hmm. I have them in the course write down every expense they have for 30 <laughs> days in a row on a daily yeah. basis. And next to that expense, I have them write down, was that purchase a want or a need? Now, mm. we get in trouble. Because there is want. a difference. A huge difference, right? So, yeah. So when mm-hmm. we when we when we define wants and needs, we say a need is something that if you couldn't 
buy this, afford this, you would perish. So a need would be yeah. housing, a need would be food, et cetera, right? Yes, but things everything you, else, yeah, things that help ahead. you live, you know, you need to live with. Yeah. Like, Exactly, but everything else is a want. So yeah, uh, you know, it means you don't have to, wanna, you don't have to have it if you don't want it. Absolutely, George. As a matter of fact, last year uh, a couple took the financial freedom course. They were in their forties. They had three children, and they had never purchased their own home, so they had been renting together for twenty years. And they came to me and they asked a real basic question: Is there any way that by taking this course we'll be able to buy a home? And I go, Oh my gosh, absolutely! When we <laughs> when we went through the first thirty days, they had over within thirty days, George, they saw about four thousand dollars a month that wow. they were spending on wants, not needs. Yeah, I mean. And and that's and, and I'm sure some of our listeners sit there going, Well, I don't spend that much. Well you don't know until you do the work and people Do you are consider shocked. do you consider uh people spending more on wants and not needs? Do you feel that that's some of that is probably unnecessary spending? Well, you know and, and when I when I spoke to this couple and I and we looked uh-huh. at this four thousand dollars a month that's going out for things that aren't necessary yeah. They were shocked, but here's the great news. At the end of eight months of watching their wants and cutting out all the wants and just spending on the need, George, they had saved $30,000 in eight months. Wow. And purchased their first home at 45 years of age. Wow, that's young, yeah. It's you know it's amazing the amount of money that slips through our hands. You know it's like you stop yeah. and you get a cup, two dollars. It doesn't seem like much. You know you go out to dinner and it's seventy five, a hundred dollars. Oh, we deserve it. We work hard. You know you go and do. I, I was out uh, to the movies with friends of mine the other day that have they have three kids. To go to the movies for them was a hundred dollars. Uh. Now you know when you think about that, you go. Would well, you consider you know, that a need or a want? That's probably That's a, a want. total want. That's a okay. total want. Yeah. If if now if you let, let let me let me make a correction here. If you have more money than you need, then you don't have to worry about that hundred dollars as a want, right? Like you've got three hundred, four hundred, five hundred thousand dollars in savings. You've got investments and everything. Then taking your family out for a hundred dollar movie is fine. But most of us uh, are yeah, in that yeah. financial situation. So what we say is this is going to hurt, right? When you start to restrict all of your wants, it's going to be painful, George, because we're used to instant gratification. We're used to yeah. spending money, yeah. right? So it's going to hurt. We right? want to have a good time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but at the end of a year, just like this couple bought a house at the end of eight months of changing their habits, at the end of the year, most Americans, if they follow what you and I are talking about right now, George, and cut out all of their wants, most Americans would be so comfortable financially they couldn't believe it. Wow. David Assel on the George Wilder Jr. Show. So how would, how would people contact you, get in touch with you to learn more about this? Because it sounds so interesting. I'm pretty sure everybody wants to save money. So how can we – I'm pretty sure you probably have written books on the subject. Oh, my God, yeah. You know, well, our 11th <laughs> book is coming out in another week. So we, we've wow. got this covered. If they go to a web, our website, it's really easy to remember. Talkdavid.com. Yeah, that's easy. 
com. Easy to remember. Visit the website. Look at we have the you know you can read about the program Financial Freedom Now. You can read about all the different ways that I work with people from all over the world, George, one on one. Your your audience can go there and go, oh my gosh, this is what I need. I want to work with David yeah. on this. So just go yeah. just go to talkdavid.com. Look at the books. Look at all the programs we have, and there's something there that will resonate to help you, our listeners, go to that next level this year. And one one thing I'm going to do and help you try to do is uh, once the show is over and booked and podcasted, I'm going to try to uh, uh, take this particular show that you're on to Facebook uh, and all of these other websites so people can listen to you on the show after the show is over and probably get some good advice on uh, on their finances. Yeah, that that would be awesome. And, and, yeah, and you know, yeah. the, the other thing we talk about in the world of finances, and this goes hand in hand with wants and needs, is – you know, yeah. what are our belief systems about money? You know, do we believe that money comes easily and goes easily? Do we believe it's hard to save money? Like, what are our belief systems? When you drill down to the core of what your belief systems about money are, most people find that their beliefs regarding money are really poor. In other words, well, you know, I spent a little bit more last month, but we're fine. I'll be getting a raise, and the average raise in America is 3% a year, which is nothing. And exactly. you know, we'll, we'll be getting around soon, and we'll be able to start saving money then. But we don't. So, so we, <laughs> we want sure people don't. to be. Oh God, we want people to be more financially aware, and that's probably one of twenty topics we cover in my work, George. Uh, it's it's a big one because you know the two biggest topics are money and relationships. Uh, a number three, right next to them, is weight loss, and in, on our programs we cover all of these areas plus more trying to help people get to where they want to be. But the, okay. the one thing I always tell people, George, is that if you want something magical in your life right now, regarding your body or money or your relationships, you're going to have to let go of something. You're going to have to sacrifice to get something you don't have right now. And that's yeah, I not agree. something a lot of people like to hear, but it's the truth. But you are uh, you wear you wear a lot of hats, is what you're saying. Oh my God, a thousand, George. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I was a little off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a busy life. I love it, you know. Every, every yeah, day and you sound challenge. like you love it. You you sound like you love it, and you sound as if you you've having all the success in the world, helping people with this or that or whatever they're uh, uh, concerned with, and. Uh, you know, bettering themselves, bettering their lives. And that's a great thing. That's a great thing. Uh, yeah. uh, um, how do you go about attracting people to, to, uh, to letting them know that they actually need your help? Well, you know, we, we set a mission a couple years ago. Um, mm-hmm. I have a business that I work with every week and we decided mm-hmm. instead of continuing to focus on the income that we make every year to make more money, we switched about four years ago, and we started using um, a figure of people that we wanted to touch on a day- daily basis to inspire them to change. So when people go to our website, they'll see our mission statement. Our mission statement is simple. We will and are lifting 2 million people a day through our videos, through radio interviews with you. This week I'll be in New York doing yeah. television interviews. You know, so – we, we go all over radio and television getting the message out mm-hmm. as well as social media, Facebook, Instagram, et cetera, 
We market everywhere to let people know that there's help, that no matter what they're trying to work through, we will have a program to help them. And there's a lot of feedback from those who are seeking uh, your kind of help. Yeah. Well, you know, we have Mm -hmm. like, I mean, and this is small numbers compared to like uh, music stars and that, but you know, Mm -hmm. a lot of our YouTube YouTube videos will have a hundred thousand views. You know, we have, I think it's 1,300 or 1,400 free videos on YouTube to help people change their life. So we reach out every avenue possible, George, to inspire people to change and to let people know that no matter how life sucks right now, there's a way out of it, and we can help them. (laughs) Well, yeah, life sucks here right now because it's cold as hell outside, (laughs) and we're on the inside. (laughs) It sucks. It's up here. Okay, so um, you know we're just about out of time. So make sh- uh, try to give us uh, every avenue that we can contact you. And like I said before, I'm gonna try to get this uh, uh, particular show out to a lot of people because you know a lot of people need this. Yeah, awesome. So all they need to do is if people go to talkdavid.com, t-a-l-k-david.com. Okay. There's one thing I'll encourage all of your listeners to do. Okay. When they get we have a free subscription, a video subscription. It's called David Essel's Daily Video Boost. And, George, when people sign up for that at no charge, Monday through Friday, they will receive a motivational video from me in their email box. That's the mm-hmm. best way I can help millions of people a day is by giving away these free videos. So when your listeners, when we're off the air, you can go right now, go to talkdavid.com. Sign up for David Essel's Daily Video Boost, and you'll get a video for free every day in the mail, in your email, to boost you up, to lift you, and to give you thoughts on how to become more successful in life. David S. Essel on the George Wilder Jr. Show. Thanks a lot, man. That was a lot of advice, good financial advice for those who need it, and also you know, the, the, the other hats that you wear. Thanks for being on the show. Yeah. Oh, I loved it, George. Have an awesome night, and stay warm, my brother. Thank you so much. We're going to need it. <laughs> All right, David Elsel on the George Wilder Jr. Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thanks for listening. And I hope you get a, got a lot out of that because it was a lot put into it. We'll be right back. Freedom. This is what I call. Freedom.
was a much-deserved promotion, and he told me to get up on the desk and spread them. All the men in my office wrote down on a piece of paper the sexual favors that I could do for them. All I had asked for was an office with a window. I asked for his advice about how I could get a bill out of committee. He asked me if I brought my knee pads. Those are just a few of the horrific stories that I heard from women over the last year as I've been investigating workplace sexual harassment. And what I've found out is that it's an epidemic across the world. It's a horrifying reality for millions of women when all they want to do every day is go to work. Sexual harassment doesn't discriminate. You can wear a skirt, hospital scrubs, army fatigues. You can be young or old, married or single, black or white. You can be a Republican, a Democrat, or an Independent. I heard from so many women, police officers, members of our military, financial assistants, actors, engineers, lawyers, bankers, accountants, teachers, journalists. Sexual harassment, it turns out, is not about sex. It's about power and about what somebody does to you to try and take away your power. And I'm here today to encourage you to know that you can take that power back. On July 6, 2016, I jumped off a cliff all by myself. It was the scariest moment of my life, 
an excruciating choice to make. I fell into an abyss all alone, not knowing what would be below. But then something miraculous started to happen. Thousands of women started reaching out to me to share their own stories of pain and agony and shame. They told me that I became their voice. They were voiceless. And suddenly I realized that even in the 21st century, every woman still has a story. Like Joyce, a flight attendant supervisor whose boss in meetings every day would tell her about the porn that he'd watched the night before while drawing penises on his notepad. She went to complain. She was called crazy and fired. Like Joanne, Wall Street banker, her male colleagues would call her that vile C-word every day. She complained, labeled a troublemaker, never to do another Wall Street deal again. Like Elizabeth, an army officer, her male subordinates would wave one-dollar bills in her face and say, dance for me. And when she went to complain to a major, he said, what, only one dollar? You're worth at least five or ten. After reading, replying to all, and crying over all of these emails, I realized I had so much work to do. Here are the startling facts. One in three women that we know of have been sexually harassed in the workplace. 71% of those incidences never get reported. Why? Because when women come forward, they're still called liars and troublemakers and demeaned and trashed and demoted and blacklisted and fired. Reporting sexual harassment can be, in many cases, career-ending. Of all the women that reached out to me, almost none are still today working in their chosen profession, and that is outrageous. I, too, was silent in the beginning. It happened to me at the end of my year as Miss America, when I was meeting with a very high-ranking TV executive in New York City. I thought he was helping me throughout the day, making a lot of phone calls. We went to dinner, and in the back seat of a car, he suddenly lunged on top of me and stuck his tongue down my throat. I didn't realize that to get into the business, silly me, he also intended to get into my pants. And just a week later, when I was in Los Angeles, meeting with a high-ranking publicist, it happened again again in a car, and he took my neck in his hand, and he shoved my head so hard into his crotch, I couldn't breathe. These are the events that suck the life out of all of your self-confidence. These are the events that until recently, I didn't even call assault. And this is why we have so much work to do. After my years, Miss America, I continued to meet a lot of well-known people, including Donald Trump. When this picture was taken in 1988, nobody could have ever predicted where we'd be today. 
Me, fighting to end sexual harassment in the workplace. He, President of the United States, in spite of it. And shortly thereafter, I got my first gig in television news in Richmond, Virginia. Check out that confident smile with the bright pink jacket. Not so much the hair. I was working so hard to prove that blondes have a lot of brains. But ironically, one of the first stories I covered was the Anita Hill hearings in Washington, D.C. And shortly thereafter, I too was sexually harassed in the workplace. I was covering a story in rural Virginia, and when we got back into the car, my cameraman started saying to me, wondering how much I had enjoyed when he touched my breasts when he put the microphone on me, and it went downhill from there. I was bracing myself against the passenger door. This was before cell phones. I was petrified. I actually envisioned myself rolling outside of that door as the car was going 50 miles per hour, like I'd seen in the movies, and wondering how much it would hurt. When the story about Harvey Weinstein came to light, one of the most well-known movie moguls in all of Hollywood, the allegations were horrific. But so many women came forward, and it made me realize what I had done meant something. He had such a lame excuse. He said he was a product of the 60s and 70s, and that that was the culture then. Yeah, that was the culture then, and unfortunately, it still is. Why? because of all the myths that are still associated with sexual harassment. Women should just take another job and find another career. Yeah, right. Tell that to the single mom working two jobs, trying to make ends meet, who's also being sexually harassed. Women, they bring it on themselves by the clothes that we wear and the makeup that we put on. Yeah, I guess those hoodies that Uber engineers wear in Silicon Valley are just so provocative. Women make it up. Yeah, because it's so fun and rewarding to be demeaned and taken down, I would know. Women bring these claims because they want to be famous and rich. Our own president said that. I bet Taylor Swift, one of the most well-known and richest singers in the world, didn't need more money or fame when she came forward with her groping case for one dollar. And I'm so glad she did. Breaking news. The untold story about women and sexual harassment in the workplace. Women just want a safe, welcoming, and harass-free environment. That's it. So how do we go about getting our power back? I have three solutions. Number one, we need to turn bystanders and enablers into allies. 98% of United States corporations right now have sexual harassment training policies. 70% have prevention programs. But still, overwhelmingly, bystanders and witnesses don't come forward. In 2016, the Harvard Business Review called it the bystander effect. And yet, remember 9-11? Millions of times we've heard, if you see something, say something. 
Imagine how impactful that would be if we carried that through to bystanders in the workplace regarding sexual harassment, to recognize and interrupt these incidences, to confront the perpetrators to their face, to help and protect the victims. This is my shout-out to men. We need you in this fight. And to women, too, enablers to allies. Number two, change the laws. How many of you out there know whether or not you have a forced arbitration clause in your employment contract? Not a lot of hands. And if you don't know, you should. And here's why. Time magazine calls it right there on the screen, the teeny tiny little print in contracts that keeps sexual harassment claims unheard. Here's what it is. Forced arbitration takes away your Seventh Amendment right to an open jury process. It's secret. You don't get the same witnesses or depositions. In many cases, the company picks the arbitrator for you. There are no appeals, and only 20% of the time does the employee win. But again, it's secret, so nobody ever knows what happened to you. This is why I've been working so diligently on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. to change the laws, and here's what I tell the senators. Sexual harassment is apolitical. Before somebody harasses you, they don't ask you if you're a Republican or Democrat first. They just do it, and this is why we should all care. Number three, be fierce. It starts when we stand tall and we build that self-confidence and we stand up and we speak up and we tell the world what happened to us. I know it's scary, but let's do it for our kids. Let's stop this for the next generations. I know that I did it for my children. They were paramount in my decision-making about whether or not I would come forward. My beautiful children, my 12-year-old son, Christian, my 14-year-old daughter, Kaya, and boy, did I underestimate them. The first day of school last year happened to be the day my resolution was announced, and I was so anxious about what they would face. And my daughter came home from school, and she said, Mommy, so many people asked me what happened to you over the summer. And then she looked at me in the eyes, and she said, And Mommy, I was so proud to say that you were my mom. And two weeks later, when she finally found the courage, to stand up to two kids who'd been making her life miserable, she came home to me and she said, Mommy, I found the courage to do it because I saw you do it. You see, giving the gift of courage is contagious. And I hope that my journey has inspired you, because right now it's the tipping point. We are watching history happen. More and more women are coming forward and saying, enough is enough. Here's my one last plea to companies. Let's hire back all those women whose careers were lost because of some random jerk. Because here's what I know about women. We will no longer be underestimated, intimidated, or set back. We will not be silenced 
by the ways of the establishment or the relics of the past. No. We will stand up and speak up and have our voices heard. We will be the women we were meant to be. And above all, we will always be fierce. Thank you.
I would know I'm one of them. So he's clear in saying that he is part of the resistance to Donald Trump within his own administration. To be clear, ours is not the popular resistance of the left. We want the administration to succeed and think many of its policies have already made America safer and more prosperous. Agree to disagree on that, but right. that's okay. Right. So he continues, the president continues to act in a manner that is detrimental to the health of our republic. See, that's really important. And that's another thing that we've been emphasizing on this show. Hey, hey, people say, won't Mike Pence be worse than Donald Trump because he's actually competent and might get more Republican agenda passed into law? No, that's not the point, guys. You're missing the point. That Donald Trump doesn't believe in democracy. And as this guy talks about, no, he's like in private too. He loves dictators. And he just, he would destroy our form of government and our republic in a heartbeat if he thought it was to his slight advantage, particularly financial advantage. So you're not getting the severity of the situation. That is why there's this unprecedented source within the White House going, he's a danger to the republic. We work with him every day. That is an unbelievable statement, danger to the republic. Because Donald Trump is now the president of the United States and does not believe in our form of government. So there were specifics noted in this op-ed, but one of the specifics that stood out to me personally was the utter disdain this particular person has for Trump's policies on trade. And that also solidified, in my opinion, the credibility of, of this person being in Trump's administration. We're talking about Republicans who traditionally have loved free trade, hate the idea of tariffs. And then Trump comes in and he decides, no, I'm going to impose tariffs randomly and sporadically and do so in a weirdly retaliatory way. And Republicans have spoken out against it. Now, in this case, there are members of his administration who are lifelong Republicans, I would assume. And they see this, they see Trump's policies, and they're speaking out against it. And this op-ed is no exception. But I, look, I want to be clear about something. Because that example has two different directions, right? On the one hand, you clearly the guy is a, see that the guy is clearly conservative, Republican, etc. On the other hand, if all of this was just about, hey, I don't like Donald Trump's proposals on free trade, then I'd say this guy is a traitor. I mean, that's a strong language, but and I don't mean to the country, but I would say, yeah, okay, you disagree with the president. You're not allowed to undermine him. Right. Get the hell out of the White House. I don't want him arrested.
folks, it is still cold outside. The windows in my studio, it is the, the windows looking out onto the avenue of my studio are frozen inside and out. I just hope everybody in the city of Chicago and around the Midwest is keeping warm, staying inside, staying out of the cold, keeping yourself safe, especially if you haven't had your flu shots. Uh, In some cases, even if you have had your flu shots, uh, you can still get a sickness. The doctors are warning you, the police, the fire department, stay in if you don't have to be out there in this record historic cold. This has never, ever happened in the history of the Midwest or America. This is a cold that I don't think many people have seen before, ever. This is too cold. And there is no doubt about this. A lot of people do not have heat in their apartments or their homes. And that's wrong, especially if they're renting. That is totally wrong. You know, I mean, because when you're a renter, you... Uh, the landlord serves you because you're paying them your money. You know, they're making, they're getting richer off your, what you giving, give them. Uh, so if you don't have heat in your apartment, the news media has been saying that call your landlord. And then if there's no response or there's no uh, heat after that, then call 311, the city of Chicago. And they'll try to figure out what's wrong because nobody should sit in their house Nobody should sit in their apartment freezing. It's ridiculous, especially when you're paying lots and lots of rent every month to uh, management or, or, or the owners of the building. And uh, so, uh, but hey, wow, if you don't have to go out, don't go out. Do not do that. You know, you, you, do not do that, especially. But if you have to go out, if you just have to be out there, make sure you bundle up. It is fucking cold. It is really, really cold. And this is no joke and pardon my language, but I, but, I, but I do use it from from time and time again. You should hear. You should hear Bill Maher. Uh, but it is really cold. And uh, some people are calling it a disaster type of a weather. It's more than just a blizzard. It's more than just a snowstorm. It's more than just cold. It is destruction it is disaster it is a monumental uh catastrophe uh uh and but but i'm not too here i'm not hearing too much about uh casualties i i I haven't heard any thing that says people are dying or people are in the hospital or people are dying from the flu or anything. I haven't heard any of that, and that's good news. That means people are surviving this cold weather. That means people are heeding the warnings to stay inside, to stay off the streets. That's why uh, there are school closings all over the place. They don't want the kids out there. They don't want the, the elderly, the old people. They don't want them out there. They don't, want, they don't want anybody out there because it's just too cold for anybody. It doesn't matter if you're young, old, black, white, whatever. Even even pets, they don't want dogs and cats out here in this cold. So it's not good for anybody. It, it doesn't matter your age or, or, or anything. It's just that this cold is dangerous for everybody. But I know the young girls who think they're so pretty and so I'm pretty sure they're pissed off. But they better do that or they're going to freeze their little tushes straight off. 
you know, so this is not, they're, they're talking about this being similar to the, or worse than the polar vortex of 2014. This is bad. This is totally bad. And it's in the city of Chicago. They're saying we got one or two more days of this. And maybe by Friday or oh, the weekend, we should be getting up into the 30s and 40s as if that's some sort of consolation. But, hey, the 30s and 40s beats 30s and 40s below zero. <laughs> so we'll take the 30s and 40s, even though there is no actual consolation. Cold is cold. But uh, 30s and 40s. But I'm, I'm seeing 30s and 40s uh, for the weekend. But during next week, it's going to tumble again. So we're not out of this. We may inch a few uh, temperatures upwards, but then plummet again is what I'm hearing. But whether, you know, it, it's just cold, folks. My mouth is starting to freeze. <laughs> so uh, I want to thank you for listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show. I was probably not going to come on today, uh, tonight. Uh, uh, because of the cold weather, you know, I'm figuring everything else is closed. Why not just uh, do the show at, at some other time at some other point? But we we've, we've done the show. We've done it all week, except for maybe I think one one day we weren't on because of the cold. But uh, it, it's affecting everybody. It's affecting everybody, and so many people are saying, "Well, I'm glad I'm not in Chicago where you are, George." But you know what? It's just like I said. It's just another devastation, another uh, nature thing that that's that nature uh, puts upon us, like, you know, California fires or, or earthquakes, tsunamis, uh, mudslides. This is just similar to those things. They happen. They, they happen, you know. So uh, we just have to try to get through it. Everybody tries to get through it. And it, it's a shame that President Donald Trump really didn't say much about what's going on with the weather as he didn't say much about the California fires. And people are saying, well, he doesn't give a damn about nobody but himself. That's true. And some people said, well, he did say something about global warming. I mean, he did not go on television and, and, and say from the Oval Office. I mean, I mean, how much does it take for someone to say? And the thing is, it's his job. This is his job to go out and try to uh, 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 motivate uh, people to stay positive in, in something like this or a tragedy. It's his job as president to motivate people to stay safe. I mean, he didn't say anything really pertaining to uh, staying safe in this cold weather. I mean, how how much does it take for someone to say, stay warm, stay safe, and be careful? That's it. That's all he had to say. But no, no, he didn't say a goddamn thing. <laughs> Excuse me. He didn't say anything. And someone said, well, George, he did tweet something. Tweet? Give me a break. Somebody ought to break his little fingers or something. Stop him from tweeting because a lot of things uh, uh, do not deserve a tweet. Something like a, a coal or snow disaster uh, like we're having today, uh, this week, does deserves more than just a tweet about global warming. Looks like we need global warming or something like that. Someone said he tweeted 
But that's not saying stay safe, stay warm, and be careful out here in this deep freeze. I don't know. The guy is just not uh, – he's just not presidential. He's unfit. He's uh, he's mean. He's nasty. He's, un- he's a liar. He- he's just – He's not fit to be president of the United States, and, and we're all wondering what, what is taking so long to get him out of office. I believe Mueller is going to come up with some indictments that's going to take him, Mike Pence, and the rest of his gang down because that's what it is, a gang. All right, folks, uh, I want to say, especially to the people of Chicago and especially to the people around the Midwest, so stay safe, stay warm, stay in if you don't have to go out. If you don't need to go out, do not go out. Right now around here where I stay near the lake, it is like a ghost town. Nobody, It's cold as hell, but it's like, a, it's like a ghost town like it should be. People are adhering to the, all the warnings uh, that have been, been uh, coming out. Warnings all on your phone, text messages, calls. People leaving, <laughs> uh, people leaving voicemails saying, "Hey, stay safe, stay, stay safe, stay warm, stay out of the cold." Uh, if your apartment or your home don't have any heat, call your landlord. If if you don't get anything there, then call three one one, and someone will try to help you out, especially the seniors and the young children, and even the pets. You know, you you want to keep you want to keep things safe. You want to think. Keep yourself safe. And that's coming from the George Wilder Jr. Show, even if it's not coming from the president of the United States, because we know that this guy doesn't care about anything but himself. And hopefully, hopefully he will go to prison really soon.
lay me down before I go to sleep. In a troubled world, I pray the Lord to keep, keep hatred from the mighty and the mighty from the small.